after one of the most thrilling races of the season so far at Silverstone. It is a short week for Formula One. They'll be heading to the Red Bull Ring in Austria, Sunday's Austrian Grand Prix. So we got a preview of that here at the Overtake F1 podcast. We're going to go over our five things to watch out for for the entire weekend. Also a look at the circuit in our Track Talk segment, predictions, and our top five and bottom five from last week's British Grand Prix. I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Overtake F1 podcast. Glad you're listening. And if you like what we're doing, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Also, share it if you like what we're doing and think other Formula One fans may like it as well. You can hit me up on Twitter at Tony D Radio. You can email me, Tony D Radio Show at Yahoo.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at the Overtake F1 Podcast. So there's a lot of ways to contact us if you'd like to get your thoughts in on Formula One or leave us a note on anything about the podcast in and of itself. All right, so we got that business out of the way. So let's get into the business of previewing the Austrian Grand Prix. It's the return to the Red Bull Ring. It's the shortest circuit on the calendar. It's also where Red Bull has dominated in recent years. Max Verstappen won both races their last season, getting a lot of overtaking in the mix. Things can really change fashion where Charles Leclerc had like 11 or 12 overtakes in one of the races last season in Austria. It is round 11, so we're kind of at the halfway point now. There's only two more races before they go to the summer break, France and then Hungary at the end of the month of July. So, what are the things to watch out for in the Austrian Grand Prix? Well, I got five of them for you. Number one, the return for Red Bull. Alright, now Sergio Perez turned an early pit stop into a P2 finish at Silverstone, but it was a tough day for Max Verstappen. He ran over some debris when he had the lead, got a puncture, ended up finishing P7, had a damaged floor. And those things happen time to time for drivers. Sometimes you have a mechanical issue. Sometimes you have damage. You got to get that thing around the circuit as best you possibly can. And in Verstappen's case, that's what happened on Sunday. So there's really nothing to lend us to believe that somehow he's not going to just win at Red Bull Ring because he wins there a lot. He's got three victories in the Austrian Grand Prix. He's got a Styrian Grand Grand Prix win from last season. So that's four career victories on that circuit. He's won three of the last four Austrian Grand Prix races. And you want to add, again, a win last year at the Styrian Grand Prix when they stay there twice. He's got a dominating presence on that circuit. And with Sergio Perez, again, coming off a P2 finish in Silverstone, there's really no reason to believe that the team won't be dominant again when they get to the Austrian Grand Prix this weekend. So the return for Red Bull is almost inevitable. I think that's absolutely going to happen this weekend. They dominate there and they probably will dominate there this weekend as well. However, and that's getting to number two, and that's Ferrari because the Scuderia's got some issues. There were two storylines coming out of Silverstone. One, a great victory for Carlos Sainz, his first in Formula One, but also they had another race where their strategy was questioned and they left more points on the table in their battle with Red Bull in both the Drivers' Championship and the Constructors. It has been really disappointing lately for Charles Leclerc, but they still qualify very well and they run up front almost at every single race, Baku aside, of course. It seems that the memes are right though. Ferrari continues to find ways to hurt Ferrari. The power unit upgrade for Leclerc was necessary in Canada, but some of the strategy decisions are hurting them overall in their championship goal. And if they don't figure some things out, they're going to run out of races. When Red Bull stumbles a bit, like they did with Max Verstappen running over some debris, you got to capitalize. Yeah, you get a win for Carlos Sainz, but you got to do better than a P4 for Charles Leclerc if you want to maximize points when, again, circumstances arrive where Red Bull isn't maximizing their point potential. So Ferrari, again, has got some issues. They've had it all season long, but this is round 11. And like I said, it may seem like there's a lot of races left, and there, and there is, but don't get me wrong. 
but they're going to start running out of races soon if they want to get back into this championship fight, if they can even get in, because that leads to number three, and that's Mercedes. Are they in a hunt for a win anytime soon? It was a great drive for Lewis Hamilton at Silverstone. He finished third and at times had the fastest car on the circuit. Toto Wolff believes he would have won the British Grand Prix if not for the safety car. He believes he would have tracked down the Ferraris and got the victory. They had good pace at Canada, remember that? But it's also time now... Can we consider them part of the equation when it comes to actually winning races? I mean, for Hamilton, it was his second straight podium finish. George Russell has been the most consistent gr- driver on the grid with a top five finish in every race except Sunday when he got caught up in that early crash. So Mercedes is showing some progress. They're showing that they could be running up front, a lucky break or two. They could find the checkered flag, or maybe they don't get a lucky break or two and they win on their own merit at some point this year. My gut feeling, I, I think they are going to win a race this season. I, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if it's going to be Hamilton. I don't know if it's going to be Russell, but I I do think at some point Mercedes is going to take a checkered flag this year. All right, number four, and this is underlooked here, and that is the battle in the constructors' standings between McLaren and Alpine. So right now you've got Red Bull first and Ferraris chasing them. Mercedes is all alone in third. They're not really in the mix to win the constructors' title as of right now, but nobody's really behind him challenging them for that third spot. But for the battle for fourth place, you've got McLaren and Alpine. Now right now, McLaren leads by just five points. Lando Norris coming off a good battle with Fernando Alonso at Silverstone. And Alpine has only one race this season with no points. That was at Imola. Uh, while meanwhile at McLaren, Norris is basically the one-man points machine because Danny Ricardo is giving them nothing. Uh, but despite that, Norris has basically got a five-point lead over Alpine in a good battle for fourth place in the Constructors' Championship. The number five thing, and we've talked about this every single time it's on the calendar. We're going to do it again. The return of the sprint race. It's back. Second sprint race of the season. It'll take place this weekend. It's a dividing point among fans. I know it. I've done a lot of talk about this on the podcast since I started last season. Some like it and others don't. They don't see why it's needed. Qualifying will take place on Friday. That will set up the grid for Saturday's sprint race. The results of the Saturday sprint race will then determine the running order of Sunday's Grand Prix. If you don't are not familiar with how that goes, top eight places for the sprint race, they all get champions points. Now, it's not confusing, but it doesn't seem necessary. But we have said this over and over again. There has to be some incentive in giving away those points for the race car drivers to take a gamble. If you just tell them that the reward for the sprint race is a place on the grid, they may not be willing to take some of the gambles that you want in an entertaining race. Now, I know the counter argument is always they're race car drivers. They race. It's in their blood. When they see an opportunity, they go for it. I get it. I get it. But also a lot of these guys are strategic and they understand what they're doing. When you're in a sprint race where the only value of the sprint race is, well, where do I start on Sunday? That's not racing in a Grand Prix. That is just to determine where you're going to start on Sunday. If you see a gap, do you go for it if the risk is too high and could put you in the back of the grid if you're running, let's say, sixth? That was the problem when they sorted this out at the beginning of the year. They found some of the sprint races a little boring. So top eight are getting points. Now, I think the way they're thinking of it is if you're outside the top eight, you're probably either content where you're at or you might be battling anyway, right? Like, oh, I don't want to be 13th. I'd rather be 12th or I'd rather be 11th or I'll fight from 14 to get up in the top 10 if I can't. But in the top eight, that was the real concern because that's where you could be in trouble. If you find yourself in a sprint race with, let's say, five laps to go in seventh, are you going to try to get sixth? 
maybe, but are you better off seventh than in the back of the grid if you crash the car? And if the if you crash the car, where is that going to put you? Where's going to put the team? So they kind of wanted to dazzle this up a little bit. They used to just give points for the top three. Now it's the top eight. Heck, I wouldn't be surprised if next year it's the top 10. I, I wouldn't. I, there's always they're always going to be tinkering with this. They want to do six uh, sprint races at some point. I think maybe next year or the year down the road. But I've gone back and forth on this. And hear me out. I did not like this last season because mostly it seemed like it was uh, it was forced and completely unnecessary. Like no other motorsport entity needed a gimmick like this. And I thought it took away from a qualifying segment that was really cool. It was a lot different. I've been to a lot of NASCAR races covering NASCAR races and qualifying is boring. You know, you're timing it around the track and then here comes another guy and he's timing it. And outside of a few like close moments where, you know, you've got the timing battle. I think Formula One does this well. There's an urgency to get into Q2. There's an urgency to get into Q3 when you're in Q3. There's a, an urgency to get a good lap in if other guys are doing it. I think they've got it right. But I've gone back and forth. This has grown on me a little bit. It's added something to the weekend. And I don't think that the, the, that the filling of the racetrack over the weekend was, was really a point here. I, I think that was kind of the thing, right? We want to make the weekend better for the fans that are coming in. Fans are coming anyway. I mean, the, the, I never hear anybody really complain that they don't feel like they're not getting a full value over the weekend. They get to see practice. They get to see qualifying. They get to see a Grand Prix. I think the, the excitement of being around Formula One cars for a lot of people, not everybody, but for a lot of people is really cool. And I think they understand what the weekend is about. I don't think anybody was screaming and hollering that they needed to dress up the weekend a little bit more. But I think the promoters did, and that's where I think Formula One was hearing them, that they wanted to give some added value for fans at circuits around the country. So I do think they were hearing that from the different promoters, like trying to give us a little bit of value, and now they're kind of trying this. It's not going to be at every spot. I mean, they're not going to say to every single promoter around the world, everybody gets a sprint race. They're not going to do that. Drivers and teams are going to do that. But could you see six? I could see six. I, I hope it doesn't go more than that. So like I said, it's grown on me a little bit. And look, I said before, I understand why you want to give the drivers us another reward other than a starting spot in the grid. But these are world championship points. And I've been repeating this over and over again. I don't think you should be just giving them out like this. I think a world championship point is really valuable currency in a driver's F1 career. Look at Mick Schumacher. He got his first Formula One points over the weekend and everyone was excited. The team was excited. His mother was excited. Family was excited. His, his, his countryman, Sebastian Vettel, was excited because they understood what this means. That's really valuable to an F1 driver. And for Schumacher, coming from that legendary family, that legendary name, he is now in the books, in the history books, as gaining points in a Formula One race. Maybe it's the start of a bunch of points. Maybe he doesn't get any down the road, but he has points in his Formula One career. And I just don't think you give that away in a sprint race. I just, I just don't think you do. If Schumacher had gotten the points in a sprint race, like he finished eighth in a sprint race, we'd all be like, yeah, that's cool. Would it have the same feeling like it did on Sunday in a Grand Prix? Of course not. Now, again, Grand Prix points and sprint rate points, they're not equal. So you don't get 25 points for finishing first in a sprint race, but still they're points. They're nevertheless, they're points and they go in the books. And I don't think that's, I don't think 
there's something cheap about that and I don't like it, but I understand why they do it. So I, I, it's, it's a weird scale for me when it comes to how the sprint race is, you know, runs itself. All right, let's get to track talk and let's talk about Red Bull rank. Really, really fun circuit. I like it. It's 10 corners, three DRS zones. It's compact. It's fast, really quick. This Grand Prix will be 71 laps. Starts off solid uphill, then a right-hander at turn one. It leads to another uphill climb, slight little dip in turn two, but that's, that's flat out all the way to the top of the hill. That's the highest point of the circuit when you go into turn three. That is a hard-breaking right-hander. They are going all the way down the gears, and then they make that turn off of three, and then back down the hill into turn number four. There's a couple of more corners. They come pretty quick until you get to turn eight. Another brief straight before then there's a double right-hander in turns nine and ten, and then another DRS zone that goes down to the start-finish line. Uh, the pit lane is really tricky. If you remember uh, the race last year, one of the races that of the two last year the pit lane you you gotta have to kind of head off toward towards it early it can get in the way then in qualifying they had the cars backed up a little bit and they don't get moving quick because it's like a minute like a minute 10 or minute eight around that track so it's really tricky in qualifying uh when they have to set it all up you can end up behind slower cars as you come around the quarter fernando alonso did last year the track was redesigned, reopened in 2011. It was the A1 ring at one point in the late 90s. The track stopped hosting Grand Prix in 2003. The Austrian Grand Prix started running on the new layout in 2014, uh, going about 10 seasons without a race in Austria. Pirelli will be bringing the softest tires in their range for the race, C3 for the hard, C4 for the mediums, and C5 for the softs. Race strategy there, likely a two-stopper, some degradation there. It is going to be a sprint race weekend, as we mentioned. Teams will have 12 sets of tires instead of 13. Uh, and Pirelli is pointing out in their in their release this week that McLaren, Williams, and Red Bull are going to be staying on after the race to test tires for next year. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, those are the teams that will be there after the Grand Prix to test tires. Red Bull Ring has really been Red Bull's home of late. Max Verstappen was won there in 2018, 2019, last season 2021. He also won the Styrian Grand Prix last year when the calendar kept him in Austria for two races like it did in 2020. Uh, that's when Lewis Hamilton won won the Styrian Grand Prix. So it has really been a Red Bull-dominated circuit. Valtteri Bottas has a win there. Hamilton has a win there. But really, over the last five, you know, four years or so, it's been Red Bull that has really dominated at the Red Bull ring. All right, it's time to do top five and bottom five for the British Grand Prix, and then we'll have predictions for the race coming up this weekend. We're going to do top five first. A lot of times I do bottom five, but I want to do top five first this time. Um, and here's the deal. In case you're new to the podcast, for those of you listening listen time and time again, you know the drill. Anything Thing is up for grabs. It's not just drivers. It can be teams. It can be a team principal. It can be anything involved with the circuit. It can be any official. It can be anything. And that's where we're going to get in the number five of the top five. And that's the halo. I had to put it in here. Joe Guan Yu is alive today because that titanium halo was above his head. Now you can say that about a number of drivers since its implementation to the car. His car was upside down, sliding down the asphalt, then on the gravel before going up into the tire barrier and into the catch fence. That would have been his head. We've seen it over and over again. I remember a race at Spa where George Russell was driving. A, a, a tire got loose, started bouncing, bounced right on top of the halo that did not come down on his head. Roman Grosjean at Bahrain. I mean, you look around and you could see a number of situations where the halo saved the life of the driver that was in the car. And it did this time. And the fact that he walked away is, is, is just awesome. It's just fantastic. But the technology behind it really needs to be praised. 
There should be no more debate about this. I know there's some old school guys out there and you know who you are that don't like it. Don't like the look of it. You know, want to see an open wheel car, want to see a driver and that's it. And a driver's head, that's it. But you got, you cannot deny the halo and it's important. So it is five on the top five. Could have been higher, but we'll get to some drivers. Number two, sir. Number four, Sergio Perez suffered some damage early in a battle with the Ferraris that caused him to pit way earlier than he wanted to, uh, but he was able to make his way back through the field. And with that safety car, getting a little bit of luck there, he found himself near the front and he made the most of it. Fought Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc over those final laps, some real epic racing, ended up P2 and he got Red Bull some great points on a day where Max Verstappen was struggling getting around Silverstone with that damaged car. So Sergio Perez is four on my top five list from the British Grand Prix. Number three, talked about him earlier, and that's Mick Schumacher. I don't think I ever had Mick in the top five before because I know I didn't last year when Haas was pretty much giving up the season uh, looking ahead to 2022. So I don't think there was any reason for me to put Mick Schumacher in the top five last year. And I don't think I put him in this year because you know, all of his crashes and all. But I have to now because he's an F1 driver with points. He finished P8 and had a good, fun battle with Max Verstappen towards the end where they battled for that seventh position. He kept himself clean. And even though there were a number of cars out of this Grand Prix, that's always the first point whenever somebody like a Mick Schumacher or an Esteban Ocon wins a Grand Prix, they go, oh, look at the attrition. Yeah, there was plenty of attrition. There were six cars that did not finish that race, meaning only 14 finished and they give points to the top 10. But you know what? It doesn't matter to me. He gets points. So you get points for the first time. You get in the top five, Mick Schumacher. You know, I'd probably send him a certificate or something, but I, I don't do that kind of thing. All right, number two, Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton had a great race Sunday, finished third. And at the times, uh, various times, he had the fastest car. Now, he said he's the fastest driver, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. You, However you want to say it, he passes both uh, Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez coming off the Vale chicane. That was an epic move. Again, ends up finishing P3. Mercedes is starting to come along, and I think they will win a race this year, as I was saying earlier. Again, I don't know if it's Hamilton or Russell, but I think they win at some point. I want to do a 2B, if you don't mind, and, and I don't normally do this, but I do want to give a 2B to George Russell, his teammate, because after that accident, he ran to see if Zhou Guan Yu was okay. That was his first thought. I mean, instead of being filled with massive disappointment and sulking because he's in a Mercedes, finally, he's not in a Williams, he's at his home Grand Prix, he's been in the top five in every single race so far this season, and the you know first nine, the crowd is going crazy. Yeah, he didn't qualify well, but you, know, you want to feel like you're going to get a lot of sort of momentum from the crowd and he doesn't last two seconds and he's out of the race. But his first thought was my fellow drivers in the catch fence, my fellow drivers in trouble. I need to find out if he's okay. So a two B I'm going to give it to George Russell, but number one, of course is Carlos Sainz first time formula one winner. And here's the cool thing. He fought off orders to give a 10 car gap for Leclerc up front. He knew he had the faster car with the soft tires. He won the grand prix. And by the way, he's been really smart on strategy too. He had that really, really, he's some really solid drives lately. P2 and Monica, P2 in Canada, now a win. I mean, outside of a DNF at Azerbaijan, it has been a great month for Carlos Sainz. So there is the top five at the British Grand Prix. So that means we got to get to the bottom five. And some of these I had, to, I had to struggle with this a little bit. I got to be honest with you. Some of these are not really driver's faults, but you got to fill it some way. Number five, Yuki Tsunoda finished P14, admitted that he was probably at fault for contact with Pierre Gasly had caused him to spin. It wasn't a very good race for AlphaTauri. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda finishing P14. He's five on my bottom five. Number two, 
Uh, Nicholas Latifi. Now, he should have been in the top five simply because I owe him one after he got into Q3 on Saturday. I'm hard on Nicholas Latifi, and rightfully so. I don't think he's a very good Formula One driver, but he got to Q3 Saturday in the wet, started 10th, but he finished 12th. He was caught in a DRS train, really couldn't get up into the points. And I'm putting him here because he could have had points on a day where six cars retired, only 14th finished the race. He didn't. And so this is what happens, Nicholas. When you get into a top 10 qualifying, you got to get points. And when you don't, you end up in the bottom five for me. I know this is kind of new territory for you, but Nicholas Latifi should have gotten points. He didn't. So you're in the bottom five. I know, I know, I know. I'm playing. Uh, number three, I'm not playing here. Daniel Ricardo. This is starting to be a problem, right? I mean, this really is. Ricardo finished 13th. I mean, there are only 14 cars that finished the race. 13th. He's not finding anything with the McLaren. I checked back to last season and it was kind of the same story, but then he won at Monza in September and like everything seemed to be okay. Like, you know, like he said, I never left when he had taken that win, but the reality of it is for the most part, he's struggling with this car. Most of the time he's doing yet another disappointing weekend for us. We'll try to get back on track in the next race. Really sorry. Yeah. struggled with the car, struggled with pace, had a mechanical issue, got caught up in something like every week. It's the same thing. And I love Daniel Ricardo, but this is not working. He has only three points finishes in 10 races. You're McLaren. And remember last year, they had a fun P3 battle with Ferrari, right? And now they're in this P4 battle with Alpine. How much of the load can Lando Norris hold in a P4 battle by himself? He needs a pickup from his teammate. Daniel Ricciardo's had a bad season. He had a British Grand Prix. Again, looking to bounce back this weekend in Austria. Uh, number two, Esteban Ocon. He gets in here, uh, even though his power failure was not his fault. The reason I kind of put him in here is because some people were really upset that a safety car came out. I wasn't. I thought it added more excitement to the race, but I know there's some people that really didn't like it. Maybe they were Lewis Hamilton fans and greed with Total Wolf that he had the faster car and was going to catch up. I don't know. But it did bring out the safety car. So, you know what? It added some spice to the race. But for Esteban Ocon, you're two. All right. And number one, Ferrari strategy. I was going to give this to Charles Leclerc, but this is kind of not his fault. Uh, this is getting to be a broken record. It feels like Ferrari is always coming off some sort of problem after a Grand Prix weekend. Look at Barcelona. Power issue for race leader Charles Leclerc at DNF after he had a huge lead. Monaco, terrible pit stop. They double stacked. Didn't mean to double stack. Anyway, that led to the lead being a taking away from Leclerc in his hometown race, a race he should have won because he started from pole and no one was really going to overtake him. You go to Baku. He starts on pole again for Leclerc and there's a double DNF. Both him and Sainz are out of the race. Really nothing at Canada. Carlos Sainz had a good P2 and, and Leclerc had to take a power unit upgrade and finish P5 after starting in the back of the grid. So I'll give him a pass there. But then at Great Britain, here's the, some of the problems that they had at Silverstone. They were late to swap out Leclerc for signs early in the race when Verstappen had the lead. Leclerc, unfortunately, had to be left out on the hard tires with the lead during a safety car when everybody else behind him was on softs, knowing he was going to be a sitting duck. And they also had to ask signs for a 10-car buffer, which was refused by signs. Good for him. And he got the victory. Ferrari seems to be hurting Ferrari. It seems to be a continuing theme this season. They better stop. There's not a ton of races left, but if you want to be in the championship, you got to figure out a way 
to squeeze out these really good victories for both drivers, whether it's getting up there in the points, taking advantage of Red Bull mistakes or circumstances, they, they got to start doing that and they're not doing that. But I don't think they're going to do that this weekend. I really think that Red Bull bounces right back. Uh, again, this is just a, a simple racing thing with Verstappen. He dominates at this circuit. He's going to dominate there this weekend. We'll see in the sprint race. I mean, the sprint race can be the great equalizer if something should happen to Verstappen, spins out, there's some contact, whatever, and he ends up at the back of the pack. He's going to have to fight his way through the grid. He'll will do that, but I don't know if he'd win. Sergio Perez, though, is is strong there, too. I, I just think Red Bull, this is their circuit. They've got it dialed in. They've won six races in a row before they failed to win at Silverstone, and I think they bounce right back. I think Verstappen wins. I think Ferrari comes in second. I would lean towards Carlos Sainz at this point, but Charles Leclerc should get some better luck at this track. I think he'll finish second. I think Sergio Perez rounds out your top three. I think Mercedes breeds down their neck, and uh, that's it. I think I think Red Bull either goes 1-2 in this race or 1-3 in this race. I, I think they're, they're going to have two of the podium spots. We'll see how that plays out. Hey, thanks for listening. And again, look for our Austrian Grand Prix review that is going to come up early next week, probably on Monday. Enjoy the weekend. Everything from practice on Friday to qualifying on Friday to sprint racing on Saturday to Grand Prix on Sunday. Enjoy the Austrian Grand Prix. Once again, subscribe if you like what we're doing. Really appreciate the support as we continue to grow this podcast. It, share it with your friends if you really like what we're doing. Again, if you need to reach me for any reason, you can do so on Twitter at Tony D Radio. You can email me at Tony D Radio Show at Yahoo at Yahoo.com. And also we do have a Facebook page. Like our Facebook page, the Overtake F1 Podcast. Be part of our Formula One community. All right, I'm Tony Deziri. Thanks for listening. This is the Overtake F1 Podcast.